This is the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the greatest show of the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other D-Generation comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and this is a very special remastered while being plastered edition. Sorry, I'm taking the punchline out of the Castle DVD. Anyway... This one is to celebrate 30 years of The Late Show. The very first episode of The Late Show was broadcast on ABC TV on Saturday, July 18, 1992. So we started the Champagne Comedy Podcast in 2020 when it was at the beginning or pretty much the pandemic kind of settled in a little bit. So we had no idea what we're doing. We just made it up as we go along. As we were watching our old VHS copies that we've kept for ages since the original broadcast of The Late Show and just reviewing them bit by bit. Now, we got a big kick out of this, and so we ended up doing the entire Late Show, all 40 episodes. So in order to celebrate the 30th anniversary of The Late Show, I've rejigged, retweaked, and altered the crap out of our original first episode of the podcast which if you listen back to how it originally was, it was pretty bad. So here's a bit more of a polished version to celebrate The Late Show, Champagne Comedy, Vintage 1992 to 1993. Please enjoy a more polished version. Welcome to the first Champagne Comedy Podcast. My name is Matt and I am joined by four people from all over Australia, <laughs> in, including the UK. Alison. Hello. Mr. Daniel G. Uh, yeah, Saturday night is the loneliest night of the week. Uh, <laughs> good to be with you, everyone. So next in line is, well, the admin, the person who started <laughs> the ChampagneComedy.com website, which is uh, Kim. Oh, hi, Matt. This is obviously a podcast, but we are seeing each other as we record it. So Hey, we're going to leak into a sticky moment to Julian Clary. Now, <laughs> here we go. With, that's not a 92 reference there. We have Prue. Hello, Prue. Hi, how are you going? I've got the paper. <laughs> I was interested um, as to what might have been airing up against The Late Show with the first episode. So um, earlier today, I was uh, knee-deep in microfilm, uh, looking up old uh, copies of The Age. Uh, on Channel 7 was the end of an Inspector Morse telemovie called The Last Enemy. Uh, the thinking man sleuth John Thor is back in another Oxford whodunit, this time the contenders for a highly prized and prestigious position at the university are prime suspects in a murder. Well, doesn't that um, just prove that Inspector Morse has been on for a thousand years? Well, yep. yeah, still uh, probably still on, on some bloody digital channel now. <laughs> I think John Thor's deceased, isn't he? Oh, John Thor is dead. Yeah, he, oh. he died many years ago. Yeah. Oh, sad. Yeah, I found Sorry. some old TV weeks, and uh, here's Sophie Lee and uh, Rebecca Elmer Lovell's another one. Now. Uh, so you can actually um, tune with your Panasonic v- VHS. You can actually tune in and call <laughs> code scanner. What was that called? Uh, a G code? No, yeah. it was it was it was different to, to the G code, but it was yeah, it was a printed barcode that you had mm. to scan with the remote control. I think bring That's down right, if you had a Panasonic. Um, so in September they. Basically, we're airing against uh, Ghostbusters, Passage to India, and the movie Stakeout. So, <laughs> oh no, no. See, I don't, I, I don't have that in in the uh, in the That's TV guide that, that I found here. Is, uh, the, this was in I, Sydney, I, I, so uh, okay. You see, I, I thought this might happen that there might be a bit of variance between the cities. Like, I just chose Melbourne because that's where it was uh, yeah. filmed. So, um, on, on, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, this is um, a few, these are the only ones I've got. Unfortunately, I don't have. Oh, uh, right. 
uh, months and months of TV weeks. So I only wish I did. <laughs> That's all I could find from my archives. <laughs> So uh, on Channel 9 was the film The Lost Boys, and that was after Hey Hey It's Saturday, which came from the Darwin Casino with guests John Farnham and Tommy Emanuel. Wow. So whenever someone says Tommy Emanuel, I just think any unsubmerged item from the Bay Marie. So that, that's very <laughs> <my mind. laughs> yeah. um, Channel 10 had uh, NBL Basketball, uh, Southeast Melbourne Magic v North Melbourne Giants. Um, if you don't want to know the score, that's fine, because I don't know the score either. And SBS had um, a film called Orpheus, 1949 French fantasy drama, generally regarded as a director Jean Cocteau's greatest work, but this fantastical recounting of the Orpheus myth remains hard going for all but the most avid film buffs who might notice that 20 minutes have been trimmed from its original length, uh, is what it says here. That's appalling. <laughs> that shouldn't be. Yes, back in the 90s, they just used to slice and dice mm. movies. Oh, outrageous. That's right. I have to say, that's kind of tough competition, isn't it? Mm. I mean, you know, a classic re- No, it isn't at all. <laughs> You'd be watching I'm, live I'm, show. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that there's no football up against it. There was football earlier in the earlier in the day, like highlights on Channel 7, but maybe it's just the way that the uh, AFL... They didn't uh, used to have so much evening football back then. As okay. I remember, it, it's more of a modern thing, isn't it? Most of the matches would be played during the day. Like there'd be a Friday night match and a Saturday night match, and then the others would be on Saturday afternoon. Really? Well, ju- judging by the TV guide here, there's two matches worth in a in a ninety minute time slot, so that would have been highlights, obviously. Yeah. Which, yeah, it just it seems so weird in in these days when you when there's a whole channel dedicated to it, and you you can watch every game, uh, you know, on your mobile. I think we can um, all conclude the late show was pretty much the best thing that that yeah. I could have watched. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty yeah. much. And and I've I've saved the uh, channel channel two uh, as it was called then uh, to last. Uh, I forget who mentioned that that uh, you know birds of a feather was the usual lead in, and I thought it would have been. Um, uh, with the first episode, but it turns out that it's actually um, a different British comedy, Smith and Jones. Oh, classic. What? Yeah. So, and Mel, Mel, Mel Smith and Griff Reese Jones, um, best known for Not the Nine O'Clock News, and yeah, this was their own spin off, essentially. Yeah, that was a good show. I mean, I, I find it really weird because I always used to watch The Bill and then the comedy afterwards. And I can't believe I, I, I didn't watch Smith and Jones that week and then watch the late show. The things that I remember about the late show was that basically it got absolutely no publicity. I don't remember ever seeing any promotional ads on the ABC for it. And I used to watch the ABC quite a lot. So I should have seen it. And this, this is one of the famous things about the late show is that ABC publicity barely touched it in the first year. And then, so, and it became this kind of word of mouth hit. And then suddenly, in the second series, you couldn't move for publicity about the Late Show. They they were mm. all, but but basically, it just went to air with no promotion, as I remember. And then it, and then people discovered it. Yeah, yeah I think no, that's was, right. That's I think there was one ad, maybe like mm. that I saw a couple of times, and it was a very kind of um, lo-fi event. You know, their handheld sort of yeah. stuff. There was more of an ad campaign for the radio show, like that sort of. Do you guys have ever seen those old um, ads of them in the lift? And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, like so. Yeah, it just appeared. It definitely just appeared because yeah, like nobody gave a shit about it for a while. 
the it was other sort of like a special remember, little club, really. Yeah. The the other thing to remember about it is is that it was called Degen the Late Show, and and they yeah. were trading on the the fame of the Degeneration name. So that that was kind of their one sort of <clears throat> attempt at marketing was to remind people who was in it. Yeah, although they were, to be fair, they were the D-Gen. They were the D-Gen all, all the way through, like, on the radio and mm-hmm. stuff. So it wasn't, like, disingenuous to say the D-Gen. Yeah, I think it was towards the end of the first season where things picked up and, and as, as you say, Alison, there was virtually no publicity um, it was all, with, well, for me personally, it was all chat, chatter in the playground and, and people were just saying, oh, yeah. there's this great new show and, and everyone getting into it that way. There was no Facebook, there was no social media to really spread the word about it back then. And then gradually it, you'd get things appearing in the ABC stores, T-shirts, other merchandise, which was really good. Um, and I think that that Who article, and Who magazine article about the degeneration, I remember reading that and learning about their history because I didn't really... Um, grow up with with the DJ as a radio. So learning about who they were and and their history of how they all got together. That was basically where I first got my information from, and um, and from there we just started seeing more things in magazines. I used to religiously buy the every pretty much everything TV hits, TV week, smash hits, um, mm. all Dolly, girlfriend, whatever you name it. I, I used to just buy all those magazines and, and see which whenever there was a little tiny little snippet that was late show related, I'd cut it out or photocopy it because I didn't want to tarnish the original. Yeah. And that was basically how <laughs> I built up some of my knowledge. And, and I remember in between seasons one and two, a little bit more publicity about going into the second season. I remember driving past actual posters for the DGen and, and the late show and seeing seeing some of it um, publicised in, in the magazines as well. So it was really season two that, that had that publicity behind it and there was that expectation for them to actually be a respectable show, which, uh, which <laughs> if mm-hmm. not for a better word, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. There still wasn't enough publicity though. <laughs> I remember one time they made it to the stickers on the front of um, TV hits. Remember those? Uh, <laughs> that was yeah. this little yeah. late show sticker. You know you've like, made it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know you made it when you're on a sticker on TV hits. All right, this is my year 12 folder, which was... Uh, yeah. Remember how you uh, buy like yeah. one copy for your archive, to, one copy for your folder? Yeah, I had to photocopy all the pictures I had. And um, that was from TV Week, Saturday Laugh-In. Saturday nights will be lively with the return of topical humour. And then the card, that was a photocopy, obviously, I didn't want to tarnish, but the, the the actual spine is, that's original from the TV week oh, wow. at the bottom of the program guide. That was a late show. Hmm. Did any of you guys had any merchandise? <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I'm afraid I not. can't believe I threw it away. What are yeah, you hat, T-shirt. I had the hat, the T-shirt. Um, yeah, I did have photos of me wearing the T-shirt. That's That's all I've got. I had the cap and then there was that time um, on the forums where the hats were being remade and you could purchase a, a bootleg cap. Does anyone remember that? Oh, no, we should <laughs> do that again. And uh, unfortunately, I, I lost it after I went backpacking around. Uh, it's actually um, in Moscow. So there. Yeah, I wanted to. And there was a Barjas t-shirt too. Do you remember that? Yes. I've got the Barjas t-shirt. <laughs> I've got the Barjas t-shirt. I've got the Late Show t-shirt. I've got the Late Show cap. I've got a t-shirt from from when Tony, Mick, and Judith um, played the Adelaide Fringe in 1990. Oh, I used to have the VHS tapes until the uh, DVD 
got released, I think, was it 2001 maybe? Yeah. Yeah, 2001. Um, yeah. Back when DVD yeah, commentary right. was common and you got a booklet in it. Didn't they record the commentary for that like the day after 9-11 or the day before 9-11 or something? I think it was shortly oh, before oh. 9-11. Kim, you, you might be able to look through the booklet there because mm. I think it's mentioned yeah. what day. It's a very shambolic <laughs> commentary. I don't have a lot of uh, respect for it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, they wander out. They don't bother wandering back in. <laughs> So this this says first of September two thousand and one. Oh, nice. as wow. the, oh yes, you're right. So, <laughs> so that's that's sort of quite as ten days before nine eleven. And also, I found that I tucked into it, which is this piece of this piece of paper, oh, and this Easter is a printout from a website which lists all the Easter eggs and how to find them. <laughs> oh, um, that's another thing you don't get with digital. Yeah, yeah. Easter eggs. Yeah. Yeah, so like there's a bonus clip of Don Lane, there's a bonus Charlie the Wonder Dog episode, there's all sorts of other stuff and and that's and basically, you know, it's it's that sort of early noughties kind of Easter egg thing of you accidentally mm. find stuff. Shall we start to talk about the episode? Right. Oh yes, that would be good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Uh season one, episode one, which was broadcast July 18, nineteen ninety two. I just feel like it needs to be said at the top that this episode is what I think is wall to wall bangers. Like looking <laughs> at it is just such I couldn't believe how rich content it was. And like halfway through it you go, Wow, it's been half an hour and then they start olden days and it just keeps going it's like you just don't get a comedy show that goes for an hour every week like that anymore so i just feel like that has to be said at the top it's really good quality yeah it is it is really packed with with content i don't know about wall-to-wall bangers just judging by some of the audience non-reaction in a few places but geez yeah well who's that audience anyway (laughs) Just all journalists and people that they know and already yeah. seen it before. <laughs> exactly. I, I think it's um it's worth pointing out that that basically they were doing the D Gen radio shows from eighty six to sort of April nineteen ninety two. And and in nineteen ninety one they were trying to get a pilot up at Channel Nine, which was called the Late Late Show. And that that fell through the Channel Nine pilot, so they eventually managed to go to the ABC. And so basically three months after they'd left the radio, um, Triple M, they started doing The Late Show. So they went straight into it. And I think that's why there are sort of elements from the radio show like Graham and the Colonel which come over because they've already got a kind Mm. of established format and they can just keep going with them. Mm. Um, There's obviously a lot of other stuff from their like live acts, like, you know, the, the REM song that Tony does, he would have done that live in clubs for many years. And so... There's there's a lot of original material, but also a lot of stuff that they're, from their back catalogues that they're drawing on. So it's it's quite an interesting show. Yeah, it's 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 you don't get an episode like this again. It's quite um, no. it's quite it's, unique. It's, it's really scratchy as well. Like there's a lot of a lot of kind of technical fluffs and bits where there's weird pauses, and and I think it feels like they haven't had much rehearsal time and they're abs- they're not used to doing live shows. And so there's all these fluffs and things and, you know, you just don't get that later on, you know, in this episode, they're really learning how to be the late show essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, the perils of live TV really. 
Yeah, it really is. And and it's also quite noticeable that there's no like music segment really. You know, they don't cut to a kind of daggy old clip from Countdown or or from the natural. Yeah, no, they they do do countdown classics, but yeah, I know what you mean, the no yeah. toilet break. Yeah. yeah. Well that was one yeah, of the exactly. glitches uh, in Countdown Classics when they start doing that and next thing you know you see the the I guess the ID of the super or the title that's about to come up on the screen, and you see Tommy Winston going, "Ah, oh, damn it!" And but he moves on. <laughs> I think that's yeah. what made them all so endearing—the fact that they were human like us, and they sometimes made these technical errors, and and mm. they, I think they handled it all really well, and, and just made that them more relatable. I think, and and I think that's what you don't see in the commercial TVs. That's kind of slick production. I like that kind of unpolished look. Um, yeah. It, it looks nice. And I also what was really interesting watching the title sequence was there's all this footage, which presumably is from the pilots that they've made or from mm, or yeah. some of it's from sketches that are yet to air that they've obviously got in the in the tank. And you oh, see, no, well, the, the yeah. back credits, oh, it's disgusting because it's full of stuff that we've never seen. Absolutely yeah. full of it. Like yeah. just different, it's either rehearsal footage or it's sketches that we've just never seen. It kills, it kills yeah. you to watch it actually. But I was expecting there to be lots of technical glitches and stuff on their first one. And I had it in my memory that that was like that. But when I rewatched it, I've gone, actually, it's not that bad. They fluff mm-hmm. a couple of lines. There's the camera, you know, uh, puts stuff on the big screen that it perhaps shouldn't have, but... Who cares? Like, it was really minimal, actually, looking well, yeah. at it from... Yeah. Well, mm. a proven yeah. point for that one is when Ross Perot's uh, impression is up by Rob Sitch and he's trying to deliver a joke or a punchline to uh, Tommy and he's going, he called me names, and then he's doing, like, a little nod, like, as in, <laughs> go on, tell the next line so I can tell my joke. He goes, well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Poopy <laughs> pants. pants. Yeah. Poopy pants. Poopy pants. Yeah. I'll tell you. I tell you, they call my names. Like what? Puppy pants. <laughs> they call me puppy pants. Do you have any idea what it's like to run for president of the United States when you're being called puppy pants? Can, yeah, can I just say that in the news desk segment, isn't it lovely to see Tom Gleisner with hair? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh. It's funny because I always, at school, we always used to think he was the bald one at the time. So, he, And then you compare it to now and you think, oh, actually, no, he did have back then yeah. <laughs> I, yeah we were so mean to tommy g back then but now yeah. i think he's quite the genius like you really yeah, have is. a lot more respect for the news desk material you know because it's just not something that you appreciate as a teenager when you're not engaging with the news yeah like you know even now it's still very funny it's just bang 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 it's great yeah, yeah I think can, can i just also watch out. <laughs> yeah that was pretty much yeah. where i got my news from <laughs> <laughs> did, did, any, did anyone else notice that the sketch with the Alaskan ship captain was shot outside the ABC Rip and Lee Studios? Yeah, I was thinking yeah. that that was such an elaborate um, setup. That gag with the one oil joke, yeah. back of the <laughs> <laughs> It must have taken hours. Now, see, yeah. I, I was I was I was too too distracted by the county court of Alaska sign that was that must have been duct taped to the top of the wherever it was. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Can we go back to the, the very first sketch with um, Diana? Oh, I just thought yeah. that was a great sketch. ABC TV, a unique look inside Sandringham with His Royal Highness Prince Charles. Oh, yeah. what I couldn't believe about it is, well, first of all, I think Tony Martin should be cast in The Crown. 
<laughs> but um, it was just so quick. It was really, really punchy. You know, like mm. I know that Mad as Hell can do lots of really short stuff, but they wouldn't do something that kind of like it was less than a minute or something, wasn't it? It was just really, yeah, really it's... fast. I thought, and mm-hmm. yeah. And he obviously got a really daggy music band album reference in it because he goes, oh, she's probably gone out to get the latest Spandau Ballet album. Uh, if you have a look out here, you can see the West Wing, which was actually brought over by the Vikings in 1302. We've maintained it in... Oh, there's the wife. Probably just popping out to get the latest Spandau Ballet album. I had to rewind <laughs> to fully appreciate that. I've gone, yeah. what did he say? <laughs> Spandau Ballet. And... and- and Tony must also be ad-libbing lines because he says something like, you know, in this uh, uh, in this kitchen we employ over 5,000 people alone. You don't notice it with all the other stuff that's going on with um, uh, Jane presumably as Lady Di trying yeah. to off herself, which is kind of weird. Oh, very awkward now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but, it was quite yeah. awkward. It was about a month after those... Uh, scandalous kind of exposés about all these allegations that were going on in the palace that were so yeah, the, bizarre um, that no one actually... <laughs> they have to be so bizarre. They must be true if they're so bizarre. And the fact the, that... Um, the, Andrew, Motion's, Andrew Morton's book, the um, Diana, Her True Story, was published in May 1992. So, so there yeah. was a lot of stuff about Diana at the time. And yeah. I think it wasn't yeah. until she died that, that they knew for sure that the source of the material was Diana herself, um, which was quite, quite oh. interesting. We wouldn't have oh, known. Oh, God, I don't even think I knew that. Because <laughs> uh, there were those tapes that came out, and then I think he subsequently released a, a book that we had a more in-depth transcript of all of them, not that I've read any of them, but I just remember at the time everyone was going on about the bulimia and, and all this, all these kind of things about her throwing herself down the stairs, etc. So um, these jokes, it was an audible groan from the audience when it was played then, and, and even now mm. you think, Gosh. <laughs> yeah, well, you can now kind of cement that in stone, the fact that just that one sketch at the very beginning kind of prevents the show being fully released, really, because it's just so dated, awkward, and you have to be there at the time to understand it. But now... Yeah, it, it, might, it might have been gotten lost in, in the 28 years um, yeah. since, yeah. I don't think it's cruel. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uh, having a go at Diana. I think it's more sort of a joke about um, Charles just not getting the not picture, you know, like idea. not appreciating what's yeah. going on with his wife, yeah. you know. There was all this That's stuff. the gag. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I think that's, that's yeah. what's really good about The Late Show and that, that satire they brought and how they just turned all those things on their heads and actually... Yeah, as you as you say, it's it's Charles who's the one there. Mm. Now he's the most normal one of the royals. Gags about John Hewson. It's like actually John Hewson turned out to be fairly normal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and then and then it, it goes into the opening titles, and you, like you can hear the the audience's reaction. They sort of don't tweak that it's gone from that cold open uh, cold opening sketch to the opening titles and it sort of just dissolves into the sort of charitable applause really going, Oh, this is the opening titles. Are we better clap? That theme song is James Brown, turn me loose, Dr. Feelgood, just for the people who are not aware of the original theme and have been relying on the DVD uh, substitute, so to speak. 
So oh, I forgot about it's, that. It's, it's it's not a bad tune, really. It's oh, sort of it's right. it, it 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 really it it was a good choice because it, it sort of lets you know that you know comedy's coming. You know, it's it's going to be a fun time. I wonder now if um that was sort of like a a nod to Saturday Night Live. You know that kind of bluesy sound oh, yeah. that. Never thought no, of that. SNL had. There's a lot of lot of SNL influence on this show, mm. and the other thing, and this this is a show that never um, was aired on the ABC, was a, a British show called The Mary Whitehouse Experience, which was sort of late '80s, early '90s radio and then TV show. And if you look at the title sequence of The Mary Whitehouse Experience, and you look at the title sequence of The Late Show that whole kind of black and white clips from the show thing is, is exactly the same. And I think I remember Tony saying in an interview that it was an influence, the Mary mm. Whitehouse on the late show and, and SNL would have been absolutely as well. So Yeah. It very much sort of follows the format in some ways of SNL, but then sort of it very much goes out on its own path too. So you mm. couldn't say it was a copy, you know, a la, Steve Vizard. It's sort of like SNL, but in the DJ's own voice, essentially. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Was um, Mary Whitehouse experience David Baddiel? Is that right? Yeah, it was David Baddiel and Rob Newman and Punt and Dennis. After the news desk. There's a little bit of Tony and Mick at the start. Shitting bricks. Not a lot, but yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, because they always used to yeah. throw to the news desk like that opening, like again, the opening monologue in SNL. Mm with the guest star and then they throw to uh, whatever news night or whatever. I can't remember what it's called on SNL. And I remember in the um, Mick and Tony bit, there's this reference to Michael Aspel. And I just laughed. I thought, <laughs> shit, that is so 1992. Like, I had to Google yeah. that. Michael Aspel's so Aspel like. and company. And I should start by apologising to regular viewers who tuned in expecting to see the Michael Aspel program. That's not on anymore. I'm afraid we've taken over this time mm-hmm. slot. And honestly, how many times can one man talk to Omar Sharif and Dennis Waterman? <laughs> so I, I should just point out too that this is going out live, uh, yeah. what you're seeing tonight. We're saying it, you're hearing it at home at exactly the same time. So we're a little bit worried. We're yeah. a little bit concerned. Uh, and I'm not saying I'm nervous or anything, but uh, I just found these in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what about you, Tone? Uh, how exactly are you feeling at this moment? Well, Mick, I'm not saying I'm nervous, but I just found this in my pants. I had to look up about Michael Aspel because in my mind, he's kind of like the hooli doolies to Michael Parkinson's Wiggles. Michael Aspel is, is, I think he's a really good interviewer actually, but, but yeah, he was, I mean, Parkinson basically was on the BBC and, and Aspel was on ITV. And so, so basically anyone who's on, who's the kind of rival on ITV is always considered a bit down marker, even though Aspel was pretty good interviewer. Yeah, so, and he had great guests, actually, to be fair. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I had a look on, on Wikipedia, and it says here that um, uh, the show was successful in attracting high-profile guests, including then-Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. So there you go, the PM and the Beatles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, then, but then in 1993, um, the show Aspel and Company was censured by the Independent TV Commission because of an interview with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis and Sylvester Stallone, who were there to promote their joint business venture, Planet Hollywood. And basically, after that, uh, Michael Aspel vowed never to host a, sh- a chat show again, according to Wikipedia. 
Wow. Yeah, that, so, that's true. We that's love true. the principles of the man. <laughs> yeah. No, Michael Aspel's a good egg, I think, and that that story is is a quite a notorious um, incident in British television. And and yeah, basically those three actors had opened up Planet Hollywood in London, and the whole of Aspel and Company was devoted to a big plug for their restaurant, basically. And, and it, it's wow. I've seen of it, and it's it's a pretty tacky episode. Whereas Aspel and Company was was quite a pleasant chat show, you know. Mm. So it's yeah, I can see why he was annoyed. So I like um, there's in the news desk. I'm skipping now to the news desk. Yeah, um, let's, let's do that. There's a really great gag with the Pope's bum, which oh. I remember they constantly <laughs> used in a clip of you know when they were doing the credits. And there is this amazing laugh in the audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> like this really, someone really laughing. And it occurred to me, because we later find out that that bum was Michael Hirsch, the uh, yeah. manager. Yes. And <laughs> I, it's, I wonder it's, it's, it's if actually, it's actually listed in the credits. It's in the episode. credits. <laughs> yeah. as, Michael is listed as papal stunt butt. <laughs> you're right it's it's the it's the first big laugh uh by the audience in the show which is kind of uh, like yeah it's a funny thing but it's sort of it seems like a really cheap gag to um uh to uh-huh. what the audience has laughed it from i think it's okay to have cheap gags yeah yeah I, it's a good gag i i like it i like cheap comedy <laughs> i enjoy the the bricks and the and the hat stand and you know which, yeah which, yeah they, they are kind of cheap jokes and, and kind of what I like about, just to go back slightly to the to Mick and Toad's opening bit, yeah. mm. they kind of know the material's a bit dodgy and they sort of slightly apologise for it. And, and I quite like that because there's always a really nice honesty to their material. They'll, they'll always kind of lean into the crap joke. And I think Tom Gleisner does that quite a lot as well. He yeah. sort of kind of almost deliberately does bad comedy just just for his own well, amusement. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's where the reference champagne comedy comes from. Pretty yeah, much. exactly. It was just, exactly. It, was, it, was, it was trying to, to oversell a, a, an okay, but ultimately crap gag. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Over the course of every and week. And thus making it even funnier. <laughs> yeah, I love it. There's no apologies. It's just like, yeah, look, we, we bashed out like an hour was worth of material and whatever, we're going to tell this joke, you know. Just going back to the news desk when we see um, Clinton and and Rob Sitch's impersonations, just that's the, you know, the first really big ones that he's done. But Clinton, I mean, gosh, that was pre-Monica Lewinsky and and he was still a notorious kind of womanizer back then. Yeah, he really (laughs) nailed the characterization, actually. I couldn't help it. Although... I think the Clinton bit is later on in the second news desk. Oh, that's right, yes. I've got yeah, that. but... Um, <laughs> the second, the update of the news desk later yeah, on. Yeah, like, because that was pre all the Lewinsky scandal. He hadn't even been elected yet, had he? It was no. just... No, that's right. So he yeah. really nailed who this guy was and... He was a boy from Arkansas, Texas. <laughs> Nice, nice. <laughs> no, you stay, you stay. We'll go out. <laughs> Ross Perot thing. I think that's a great example of how who the frig is Ross Perot. No one remembers him, Bobby but Pan. we remember Ross- Rob doing it. The Bobby Pants. I think that's more famous. Bobby than Pants. <laughs> Ross Perot yeah. was always referenced in like '90s episodes of The Simpsons as well. He was obviously oh. kind. of a bit of a joke figure in in the United States because he he was he was a very very rich man who just decided to keep running for president and because he had so much money 
he could get to the point where he might have a chance of, of winning. Ugh, history repeats itself. He never, he never did, but he was an independent candidate and he was just a rich man, basically. Straight after Poopy Pants uh, was the National Drug Offensive Angels skit. Uh. Or like the <laughs> running joke in the news. Uh, the, 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 the only thing I've, I've got to say about that is, is uh, looking at the microphones that are used in that sketch and noticing that they're just standard microphones with radio station bumper stickers taped to it. Yeah. Like, like you, can, you, can, you, you, can, you can see Triple M, and they, they haven't quite removed the rocks, insert Melbourne suburb here, part of the um, <laughs> uh, thing on it. That's very observant. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> uh, I was going to say straight after that um, was the one of my favourite things or a signature thing that Tommy G still uses to this day in, in Have You Been Paying Attention, where he tells mm. a somewhat serious story and then, or, you know, something sympathetic and then, bam, something grotesque straight afterwards, which is <laughs> the beached whales. Oh, yeah. And then um, see so... everyone trying to rescue the whales and then... They got back into the water, but the Japanese trawlers were off the water's edge. And, <laughs> and they literally just yeah. made that joke on have you been paying attention as well. So that oh, really? joke is just one of those running gags that never dies. Yeah. Well, sadly, the story remains the same, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> and now I'm talking about the electromagnetic fields, and I thought that's the 5G conspiracy theory of its, its day well, as well. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that was funny. Straight after the beached whales was all about the new $5 note coming in with the Queen being printed on the front. Wasn't that the whole thing where the printing was so soft or too very gentle, you can rub her face off? Yeah, I, I used yeah. to do that. I remember sending a uh, $5 note without the face on it to oh. my English pen pal. Wow. <laughs> These are the sort of fun things you did in 1992. <laughs> no internet. I, I remember folding it in a certain way. And ah, uh, yes, yeah, okay. I won't say any more. <laughs> so, that's I feel bad just saying that. I don't know who discovered that, they, 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 they must have had nothing better to do. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'll go on to the next bit. <laughs> um, the Olympics were about to happen, um, Barcelona 92, and uh, so they were going to show the new Olympic uniforms for Australia. And Santo and Jane are out in the field, Jane looks like she was. You know, really pumped up on steroids, and uh, Santa had his barley t-shirt barley. with Salona on it, <laughs> and and, and oh, had Jason doing his best um, uh, news report or impression as well. I'm speaking now from Barcelona with two of Australia's Olympic hopefuls, Deidre McAvoy, say no to steroids, and Gary Tippett, Bunzi. Deidre, you are of course a um, shot putter, and Gary, your event is my event is the 200 meters piss farting around. It was he was but, so but, great in his own boots, and then he switches to thongs to run the. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that was pretty much the end of the news desk. And uh, oh, oh, almost. I, I think you you uh, skipped. Oh, uh, there was an item about the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Yeah, that was the one we were talking about before with that elaborate oil in the station wagon setup, which was just just really cracked me up. I thought, wow, this stunt guy has set that up for hours. <laughs> Aaron Bocetto, I assume, did that. And uh, it's like yeah. a kind of a pissy da- daggy joke, but the oil coming out of the station wagon. And again, like the Pope's bum, they constantly flashed back to that moment in the clips over the credits and stuff. And, and it, 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 it did get a really good reaction from the audience when, when, when they see the, the big slick coming out at the back of the station wagon. The other thing I, I kind of like about that short sketch is that Mick is playing the, the, the captain 
in there, but he's he's not doing anything to sort of hide that it's just Mick. Yeah, like he's like he's he's not putting on an uh, American accent. You know, it's it's just it's it's him. Um, you know, with a you know three day growth and uh, a, a tie that's not tied all the way, and they they just they they must have woken him up from wherever he was the night before and just stuck a captain's uh, hat on him. Yeah, there's a few times down the track of the seasons you've noticed that Mick just turns up, doesn't really give a shit and does yeah. his line, so that's really it. <laughs> You'll see those in a few dinner party sketches down the track. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so the next part of it after the news desk was the first, I guess, produced sketch, or other than the Sangrian, but... Uh, here we go. Uh, the Hardly Permanent Building Society. The old fart and polyester slacks. I'm a recently retired but still active old guy in a nice, cosy cardigan. And uh, because of my reassuring, trustworthy manner and ability to sling a set of golf clubs into the boot of a Commodore while talking direct to camera, I have been sentenced to spend the rest of my life in TV commercials, crapping on and on. About Would you like to know a fun fact about the actor James Condon, who plays the man from the Hardly Permanent Building Society? Please do. I'd love to. Uh, go on. Okay, here. This, thank you. Thank you to IMDb for this. Um, he is actually <laughs> of Anne Haddy, who played Helen Daniels in Neighbours. Ah, of course, and, yeah. And and also he died in 2014. So rest in peace, James Condon. Yeah, well, he was very good at swinging golf clubs into the back of his station wagon. <laughs> he, it, for, he'll be forever remembered for that, yeah. Well, I definitely enjoyed it, and I, and I think it's uh, the type of thing that you, you see nowadays in the, in this daytime TV, the really bad ads for real insurance and these... Oh, God, talking yes. ...talking about, yeah. oh, I think I need some life insurance. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got one of those. Oh, yeah, let's, if, let's if call them now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if 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 they were doing a late show nowadays, yeah, it'd definitely be those two minutes mm. um, acting lessons uh, that that appear during the daytime on a digital multi-channel. Definitely. So the next segment which they did mm. was uh, Santo and Jane presenting directly to the camera, and in the back there was a display for all their jokes and everything else like that, uh, talking about the new Jesus book, I guess, by Doctor Thiering about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Controversial Sydney academic Barbara Thiering wrote this book. In it, she claims that Jesus Christ was not crucified in Jerusalem, but in a small Dead Sea village called Qumran. She also says he didn't actually die on the cross, but he was revived in a nearby cave before marrying Mary Magdalene and fathering a family. As you can imagine, Dr Thiering has got into a lot of hot water, and most of her claims have been rejected for three main reasons. First, they're based on erroneous paleography. Secondly, she can't verify the archaeological evidence. And thirdly, nobody believes the finding of a woman who looks like she ought to be at home baking a cake. This was a fascinating mm. sketch, wasn't it? It was yeah. like um, something that you, they would have put in, in their book. You know, it's like a, it's a classic comedy book um, bit of material. It doesn't mm. play very well as live TV. It's, you know, too mm. text-based and too many visual gags, but a bit also... Um, I guess this is almost where I wondered if they got that criticism for being undergraduate, you know, that crappy criticism that they would get at the time from old farts, basically. Um, It's not not such a bad premise, though, because, I mean, it's it's only brought about just because that book came out. But it's it's essentially like, what if the Dead Sea Scrolls were like today's papers? 
I yeah. think I might go yeah. with a little something yeah. like this. And it, you know? let, let's list all the jokes we can on the Bible as a tabloid newspaper. And and it, it basically, it feels like, you know, as Prue was saying, it's like they're rattling off all of these jokes without thinking about how this could be really, you know, funnily presented on television. And, and I think they're still kind of learning how to do it. Yeah. And mm. it yeah. doesn't quite work really. It's, just, it's, not, it's not a great sketch, I would say. Yeah, and again, this is not something yeah. that you ever see again. This is just a first episode, first series kind of moment. Mm. <laughs> but one thing I think it really does illustrate is that thing I was saying before. It's really dense. I mean, if this is a yeah. if this is a lull in you know funny proceedings, it's not un you know it's still good, is what I'm trying to say. It's it's yeah. sort of like wow, if this is a bad moment, it's a good bad moment, you know? And yeah. yeah. Well, my favourite yeah. line in that joke is, uh, or that sketch is, it's a saviour. That's my little <laughs> favourite. Yeah. I've used that once or yeah. twice in the past and, uh, yeah, it, it never really hits the mark. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a good gag to, to go out on. And, yeah, they, they, they say, uh, yeah, born uh, 25th of December, the year zero. Yeah. <laughs> a child born to Joseph and Mary of Nazareth, despite some complications during the delivery, staff at the local inn has uh, described the baby as being in a stable. Bam. <laughs> and cue shit scared straight after that. The first shit yeah. scared for the, <laughs> the series, which uh, involves Rob jumping out away from a truck while blindfolded. And this is our first best bit, isn't it? I do believe Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. and it really is. I I just, watching this again, and I'm struck with how golden this is. It's like Mm. just such magic performances, actually. (laughs) And also um, the hand, this is the first time I think we see the handheld thing out and about on location. And for 1992, that was really kind of, you know, groundbreaking. We'd never really seen that before. I mean, later on, we happens all the time, but it was like, wow, look, look what they've done on their own, you know, on a rainy day <laughs> down in Hyatt, yeah. you know, like this is, this is shot at the ABC's set workshop in Hyatt, I think. Is that right? Yeah. It's not there anymore. It's an office works, but yeah, it used to be a ABC area. Yeah. And I was going to say it's, it's raining there. Did they have to wait very long to actually film Mick uh, jumping up in those puddles when I thought, oh, it's Melbourne. It, it rains pretty much every day. I, I, sort, of think, I sort of figured <laughs> that they, I figured that they'd scheduled to record it on that day and then it, it rained and then they just kind of had to adapt the filming to deal with the rain. And and I suspect the bit when Mick jumps through the puddles is something they've just improvised on the day. You know, well, I, that's, yeah. I was just, that was the thing that was blowing me away. Like the yeah. timing in that moment, like there's, it was just such a great performance. It made me wonder about yeah. their process. Like what, you know, whether yeah, they were so as, as to how or, much was scripted versus yeah. improvising that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it must've yeah. been a mixture and, and they just work so well together. It just all came naturally on the day. And, and, and I think I also the of it. Tom as well, he's really quite, talented in that because you know you most of the time you're just watching rob and mick but really tommy is very funny as well he's got the this amazing yeah. timing and it feels like he's talking directly to santo at sometimes behind the camera and i just mm. there it really is I, I had i wrote down this disgusting word which was rewatchability <laughs> because <laughs> i think you can watch this yeah. um segment of shit scared over and over again it's just mm. brilliant 
Well, I was watching it yeah. um, as part of this, um, and my partner, he, he was watching it for the first time, and he was just cracking up at it and finding it <laughs> hilarious. So there's an example of someone who's never watched it before and finding it absolutely hilarious. So like, We're not told much about who Rob and Mick are in this sort of dynamic. Like We're told Rob's a stuntman and Mick's his assistant, essentially, and it's sort of left to that. Um, and like we 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 don't really know what's going on until we watch uh, the whole sketch, really. Yeah, and then another actually another piece of their merchandise that they brought out at the time was um, that video, "The Devil at Your Heels." Do you remember that? Mm, yes. And they yeah. introduced it, and it was so like when you watch that, you go, "Oh wow, this That's is their inspo." <laughs> yeah. Rob learning karate. It was like, it was just like Kai. Kai. Yeah, that's well, what, Shendo Kai or something, isn't it? Shendo Kai. I had a brain fart there. I, but I know. I, I, I have not Googled that to see if that's an actual thing. Because he, he, he mentions, um, yeah, it's either Shendo Kai or Kendo Sai. <laughs> Shendo Kai is definitely Shendo Kai. But the order, according to Rob, of the rankings was blue, brown, <laughs> black, then yellow. <laughs> yeah that's definitely true yeah it's got that feel of you know that 70s stuff that they would have watched when they were kids on telly <laughs> yeah. well, and, and actually interesting enough er, earlier um that same saturday on channel 10 at five o'clock was a show called stunt masters mm-hmm. um I've, I've got i've got no other information about, about it apart from that it was on well at the same time as the late show so this is where we started to find out how well Rob, as in shit scare Rob, knew how to spell because that's it's going to be in it. Any doubts? No doubts. Not in this game. Not in this game. No doubts. If you ask me how to spell doubt right now, I wouldn't know. Ask me. Ask me how to spell doubt. Uh, spell doubt. No. Maybe there's a B in there. I'm not sure. Like this script of this shit scared seems really polished like i wonder if this was one of the ones that they were going to do on channel nine didn't they steal the uh, funniest home videos prize camera and go out to the car park i i think actually one of the shit scares or or possibly more that were shot for the 1991 channel nine pilot the late late show actually ended up airing on the abc in the late show i i think that was i think someone said that in an interview or one of the commentaries or something it's the one where, you know, they're at the fire station going up the sort of practice fire tower. And, you know, oh, it, yeah. You that know would that explain one. why they're in Richmond, yeah. Because yeah, that would and, be and, Channel 9. That's right. And they, and, you look, and they look slightly younger and they look a bit different. <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure that's from the Channel 9 pilot, but mm. I could be wrong. Well, straight after that was a quick little live sketch, uh, Keyboard Classics, where it was mm-hmm. Tom and Jane playing the annoying keyboard. Yes, all those piano selections you'll never forget as played by your annoying 12-year-old sister who's never had a lesson. <laughs> Take a grating trip down memory lane with these living room atrocities. <laughs> There's the excruciating... Yeah, my 10-year-old was watching that um, just the other day while I was uh, preparing for this, and she actually found it funny. And so it's another one of those jokes that I think has stood the test of time, and every 10-year-old can play chopsticks and <laughs> Furleys, opening bars of Furleys, and that's <laughs> yeah. pretty much all you can do. And I had piano lessons for five years, and I still 
can only play that now. So what I like about this sketch is that uh, Tom doesn't name any of the the songs that are on it. It's sort of just left for Jane to play them, and like we, we all know them. <laughs> It's one of those ones that, again, it doesn't really work great. Like, again, it's got that first episode, first series thing. But there's some real funny moments in that. Like, first of all, Jane's costume and makeup is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was really pissing myself laughing at that. And then the other thing is um, actually her and Tom have some really great chemistry. They really sort of work together as a yeah a duo. And there's a bit just right at the end when um, – you know, she says, I'm dobbing on you. And he says, I'll let you give me a Chinese bird. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, not great, but then there's some really golden moments in there. I, th- I think yeah. also the, 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 the unexpected Tom hitting Jane with the album as well. <laughs> that sketch to me felt like something they would have done live on stage because I could imagine that sketch going down quite well in a comedy club. But or, 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 or even something for the radio, it seems. yeah. But I, I think you're right, Prue, because I used to pick up um, on the chemistry between Jane yeah. and Tom as well. And there was a there was a rumour, which I think they in, tried to encourage slightly, that Jane and Tom were like an item. Because you remember yeah. there was about them going off on a date to the, the dogs? Yeah. <laughs> it was all and subterfuge. It was all subterfuge <laughs> to cover up for her relationship with Rob, yeah. Yeah, this is true, because like, we... At school, we always thought that Jane, Jane and Tom were an item. There was that chemistry in the yeah. classics as well when they were together in that on the bean bags and pajamas, and and then yeah. there's this one as well. And then it was only until season two that we realised the the truth, and thought, <laughs> oh gosh, they've been fooling us the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Those course, bags. Well, the next part was the first segment of Jason and Mick together for muck raking, and this is the beauty of muckraking here because it was the original launch of the little fat kid from Hey Dad Joke. Yay. <laughs> but Yay. they also break down the whole, let's kill Todd from Neighbours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this uh, this aired um, on the, the Tuesday prior uh, to the Saturday, um, again, looking at Wikipedia. Wow. <laughs> no, you just knew that already. <laughs> <laughs> Just what, what actually happened on Neighbours is weird enough. So Todd was ultimately just uh, trying to accept that his girlfriend was going to get an abortion. He was trying to accept it but couldn't. He was uh, going to uh, – he, he takes a bus to the clinic, but the bus breaks down. Upon spotting a taxi, he runs across a busy highway to, to, to hail it. However, is distracted as the taxi moves off and is hit by an oncoming van. Now, he doesn't die from that, uh, from being hit by the van. He later wakes up in hospital after a successful splenectomy. Um, for the lay people, that's a, a splenectomy. Wow! <laughs> um, he, he appears to have recovered and talks to Phoebe about the future and tells her she is beautiful. When he suddenly goes into cardiac arrest due to a ruptured artery, the doctors just happen to miss out on. Wow! Really <laughs> oh, nice. was poor. Can I? And so, and unfortunately, he, he he dies from that. Um, but later appears in a, uh, as a spirit in Phoebe's mirror, telling her he will always be there for her and the baby who he says uh, will be a girl. Phoebe later gives birth to their daughter, who is named Hope. I can't believe he appears as a spirit in a mirror. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's genius. It would have been cheaper and like wouldn't have been as much for special effects, I would think. I have met Todd from Neighbours a couple of times, but I actually have been... Wow. Christian Schmidt. Yes, he's actually a partner of someone who works in radio, and every time I've gone to the Commercial Radio Awards, the first time I went and I saw him from across, I think it was at the Melbourne Convention Exhibition Centre, <laughs> and I was with a friend of mine and went, oh, that's Todd from Neighbours! And <laughs> the, the, my friend's just gone, what are you on about? And I went, he got hit. Oh, never mind, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it will take too long to explain this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Christian Schmidt had no shortage of stickers on the front of TV hits. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, I think that little fat kid. Um, yes, the debut of little fat kid was as uh, pretty much what made the sketch that particular segment for me because yeah, that's the start of everything. <laughs> he was in the Sorbonne ads before, that, wasn't he? Before Still then. here. Yeah, I remember. That. <laughs> as well as Hey Dad, oh, I remember the yeah. Sorbonne ads. Mm. The bookie bit was a bit shit. I didn't like that. <laughs> Even now, no. yeah, that was a bit. It was, it was, like, it was a, a little bit of filler, really. I like the uh, the, the little insertion of um, uh, Jason driving the van that uh, that kid told. That was very it's sort of, it, it gets it gets a great reaction from the audience again. Yeah, I love like, Jason's sort of very um, unexpected. reaction. Where he's like, "Yeah, what? I'm just you know running Todd over, <laughs> like whatever." So I just ran Todd over from the you know. <laughs> so what? <laughs> And now is the next part, Tony Martin singing R.E.M.'s Stand. Stand on your head in the sea, now face north, sail on spread while you force a strawberry slurpee up your nose. Is this our oh, second but, best bit? Although but before that, and it, this bit isn't on the best bits uh, uh, DVD, is uh, he, uh, he does, uh, as he says, as is customary on ABC comedy programs, to pester the audience. I know, right? And how much is the guy that he speaks to, whose name is Tony, look like Tony? It's amazing. It's a setup. Looks <laughs> <laughs> exactly like him. It's insane. And 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 not the not the only doppelganger uh, of the evening, uh, as as we'll find out a bit later. Yeah. The, the only reason I can think of that they might have cut it out of the DVD is that they couldn't find Tony um, to get his okay. Maybe. But uh, are we did. sure that bloke in the audience wasn't Andrew Denton? <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, or maybe um, was it Warwick Warwick Fairfax as well? Uh, <laughs> or the bloke he actually the- looks like um, an old champagne comedy community member whose name I've completely forgotten, but I thought I chatted to at the at the dick liquor at the end of Get This. <laughs> so did everyone um, just basically quote the lyrics and sing the song? Um, yeah, I feel like I know what went yeah. word. Photocopy your bum and bake it in a cake. <laughs> yeah, that's my favourite line is the photocopy your bum. And then, yeah. and then just when you look at them, you think, oh, gosh, there are some, some really surreal references here. But Daihatsu Charade, that was my first car back in 1995. And I thought, well, that's actually a very 90s car. And, um, yeah, eating tents of lockies. Then throw up on the corner of your bus. Daihatsu Charade, exactly. And also the uh, James Rain reference with uh, Hammerhead. Mm. That Hammerhead, what is that all about? What the hell is that about? (laughs) Yeah. All right, again, Rise I can answer down. that through Wikipedia. <laughs> They're very oblique lyrics, and, yeah, it could definitely be about, you know, drugs or relationship or anything, really. God, I, or a shark. Yeah, yeah. I prefer <laughs> sticking strawberry slurpee up my nose. <laughs> 
uh, the next sketch is all about Brett Whiteley. And Gee, I have to say, this for me is the gold nugget of this of this whole episode, right? Because it's not on a best bit. It's no. never been really repeated again. And it is fucking great. I love this sketch. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe because Santo, Rob, and Tony are all incredibly hot in this sketch. I'm just going <laughs> to <laughs> And also it's just very funny. It's very sort of artsy-fartsy and, you know. Okay, let's begin with showing off time. The night before Brett died, he... Nathan. Was it my place? Mm. We, um, we were very good friends. We spoke about our friendship, me and Brett. And he spoke to me about a painting. Uh, interjection? Mm, he, uh, he told me about that. He was at my place later. Five points for one-upmanship. It's that whole, I just love that one-up and one-upmanship quote there and, and, and making it into a game show. This is the precursor to the dinner party sketch, I think, with Rob kind of saying, oh, I'm of you. It's not a patch on this and I'm better than you. I just thought it was, <laughs> yeah. it was really clever and that kind of a little bit of a we've never heard about how this sketch was written um but i like my my guess is that um uh, because it's about brett whiteley um like this sketch was broadcast about a month after he had passed um from an opiate overdose unfortunately and my, my guess is that they must have been listening to like a lot of radio national and they must have heard a lot of these rogers and nathan's you know, talking about <laughs> you know his whole life a work of art, and just and and just uh, just hearing this sort of crap from people in the month since Brett Whiteley passed, and you know reckoning you know that you you must be able to make a, a game show sketch about all of this one upmanship. There's only so many yeah. times you can put up with uh, national treasure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the line I borrowed his lawnmower absolutely correct. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's quite were rare that Rob and Tony did stuff together, and so I'm always yeah. fond of coming across those moments again because they are the such the funniest together. And yeah, they didn't do much material or performing together, so it's great. The, the other thing I like about this uh, is that Tony, I think, looks the most like Riff Reese Jones in this uh, sketch. <laughs> yeah. What do you What do you reckon? Is, is totally. it totally gay? Mm. Yeah, agreed. Has he got that little um, weird little chin hair? No, no, that's, that's Rob. <laughs> oh, oh, all, that's all, right. art, all arty men in the 90s had that little little chin triangle thing going. Yeah. <laughs> I think this sketch works so great because they had a really good wig budget. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Comes down to the wigs. That's all it really does. And, and a good I mean, shirt budget as well. Yeah. The, 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 the only thing that, that sort of spoils it for me is that it doesn't get a, a, a good reception from the audience. Because I, I don't know if it's bad editing or anything, but when Santo, as the game show host, walks on uh, to the to the game show set, it's done in pretty much complete silence. Like there's no there's not even any recorded audience to it. So it's sort of it seems like it died in the ass a little bit, at least at first. There was a few misfires <laughs> there, or it just goes directly over their heads because it's too obscure, yeah. or people just. Wasn't weren't aware of what was going on at the time. These things happen. That's probably why I didn't make it to the best of. Speaking of the bad wigs and everything else like that, the wig bucket. <laughs> the first instalment of the olden days. Mom! 
false moustaches. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like, you're halfway through the episode at this stage and then you get the olden days. And you, you your head would have exploded with, like, what is this? It's hilarious. You know, like, it's so great. And and thankfully that, that theme song um, sort of uh, does a, a bit of the, the heavy lifting at first, I think. Especially because, as far as I can tell, that first part of the theme song refers to stuff that doesn't exist because it references men come from Cooper's Crossing now Cooper's Crossing does anybody know what that is well it it's um it was from the Flying Doctors and and it's a fictional yeah. town and Darwin in the south it's not in the south it's not in the south people from the dusty plains of Innisfail uh, Innisfail according to Wikipedia is well renowned for sugar and banana industries as well as for being one of Australia's wettest towns <laughs> <laughs> So it's definitely not dusty. To the Murrumbidgee's mouth. It's technically, it's links up with the Murray River near Boundary Bend, which is on the boundary of New South Wales and Victoria. So there's not really, there's not really a mouth of the Murrumbidgee either. I love it. I love that there's so many layers to the comedy. Yeah, who knew after yeah. all this time that we could still be dissecting all of these lyrics <laughs> and actually finding the meanings and, wow, the power of the internet. Well, Back then, you... all I was, all I found funny was, uh, oh, that's that guy from Play School, <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who we don't even see in this episode. No, no. that's right. Yeah, I was looking out as... for him and thought, hey, he's not here. But... As far as the olden days go, I don't think this is a particularly strong episode. Like no. there are much funnier no. episodes. It was more. It, like it, 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 it happens well with that platform shoes gate, though. That goes down a street. You know what? I never yeah. really understood that joke until years later, and when it was on the DVD, and I'm, I just thought it was just a throwaway line. Platform shoes. Until I actually looked at his feet and realised that he's standing, standing on, on the logs. stumps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! I feel so dumb. <laughs> I think I think it's worth noting about the olden days that um, they'd done this kind of revoicing of of crappy old. TV serials before in mm. when they did Degenocide on Channel Seven, they they intercut various sketches with bits of um, Homicide. Was it? Yeah, nineteen eighty eight. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, by by this point, it was pretty much expected of them, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. because they used Rush, the ABC series, mm. which apparently uh, the early episodes, some of the masters have been lost. That's why they really haven't resurfaced or anything like that. Um, which they should really release because that. Bits and pieces, mainly coloured versions, have appeared in ABC specials of uh, Frontbottom, well, Governor Frontbottom, which the actor, Brendan L- L- I can't pronounce his name, Brendan Lunny. There we go. Yeah. We got yeah. Yeah. Who also created Chances. Now, he... <laughs> Ooh, fun fact. Bang. Yeah. Well, well, here's another one. In the first episode of The Olden Days, the person who's telling Front Bottom to go to the mudfields is Ian Smith, a.k.a. Harold Bishop. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. No, no, yeah, so it would I, be a I, great I, series. I wonder, I wonder if Tony knew that because the, the, the voice that Tony does for, uh, for, for Ian is very, um, very blustery. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice Jordan. I'd forgotten how much Tony does of this episode, like yeah, in the old days. The voices, basically. It's very Sizzletown. It's like it's Tony, it's Tony, but the two different Tony, voices. Tony versus Tony, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's amazing, that, that final scene. The only sort of weird thing um, is is all, all the jokes about Governor Frank Bonham being, well, punsy, as they put it. I sort of, I don't know if that sort of thing would fly today. It'll have a big question mark on it, that's for sure. Or... Mm. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of right. its time. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. well, after we were basically introduced to the mudfields, uh, we go into the next segment, which is hosted by Tom and Jane, and that's Countdown Classics. With the technical glitch of the opening titles not working properly, uh, they highlighted April 1978, and that was the Saturday Night Fever Dance Competition. <laughs> wow. It looked amazing, didn't it? All the yeah, gold um, hot pants. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that episode to pop up on Rage One Night and just go, oh, record, bam, and then get it in full aspect of what the heck they were talking about and see all the daggy dancing that was with it. It is really good, guy. <laughs> <laughs> This, brown this countdown classics, yeah. they sort of, sort of, sort of, sort of like uh, looking like he doesn't want to be on camera. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I just love the the, the Molly stuff um, I, I, during the course of the countdown classics and and that Prince Charles interview and, and all of that and yeah, it's just so classic. And I, I, I also like in in this particular episode they they, they do a, a quick disc to Countdown Revolution. Of course, sadly, Countdown ended in 1987 and was replaced by Countdown Revolution. <laughs> But for us, the memories live on, and we'd like to share some uh, classic countdown moments with you now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was like it was like a weekday version that they did that lasted about eighteen months or so. The, the the only thing that that I remember about Countdown Revolution is um, the episode that happened about eighteen months in, where the two hosts decided to go on strike and essentially got <laughs> fired after that. They were probably getting like fifteen dollars an hour or some shit, you know. Like, poor guys. Well, they, they 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 decided to go on strike because most of the bands, and I mean, th- this would have been day rigueur for old school countdown. They like everybody was miming to the tracks in, instead of playing live. The whole running order is out of the window, and we're going on strike. And basically, the people in, in the control room just ran video clips over them, and you know, sort of you know, drowned them out and. Uh, I, I think you can find it on YouTube. It's from 1990, but it's it's just it's amazing TV. They uh, highlighted all the daggy dancing in it, and uh, but the mm. the one that went they went straight out of was the music clip of the Bee Gees, where uh, they look like they were off their face, pretty much. Mm. Rethink your <laughs> third slide. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was where I was really again reminded of how funny Tommy G is, you know, like he's just highlighting this guy who's clearly off his face. <laughs> but if you hadn't had Tommy G pointed out, you probably wouldn't have put it together yourself. No, not at all. He would. He just he finds the most obscure bit and makes a mountain out of it. In this Countdown Classics, because like as, as the series goes along, they spend a lot more time on the segment and the clips they show are longer. And this one really feels like they're rattling through the clips and not sort of setting them up quite as much and I think they Yeah, probably... it was it was a really quick segment. Mm, yeah. yeah. They went straight into a sketch about uh water, mineral water, which was septic mm. springs and this is where Rob and Jane were together discussing. Ooh, this would be their first date. <laughs> first date at septic springs. It's not it's not it's not a very hygienic looking date. So Jane's only line in the sketch is to spit out water, really, and just uh, and run off. Uh. I didn't really get this joke, but I was just, you know, fascinated at Rob and Jane doing a sketch together. That was great. I was just wondering, was there some kind of water scare? But that was the late, very late 90s in Sydney when we had uh, the Cryptosporidium. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah no, they do, they do do jokes about that later or yeah. season two. I can't remember. I, 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 I live in Adelaide, so, so you, you don't need to talk to me about that water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there was a joke yeah. about the, the pineapples in season two. It's fine, doesn't it, Samuel? 
deadly pineapples it's in every third can. That was the joke about the food poisoning. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, look, looking at, looking at this sketch, all I can think of is the the poor props guy that had to make that disgusting looking water to put in the bottles. Mm. <laughs> it was probably chocolate milk or something. Yeah, that's that, that's what I reckon. This sketch is just a response to the fact that basically, kind of late eighties, early nineties, there was this real fad for bottled water, and it was the first time people had been paying for water, and there yeah. was a lot. Of- is taking around. Oh my God! You're paying a dollar for a bottle of water. You can just get it from the t- and all that kind of stuff. And you know, these days, lots of people buy it. Or in fact, we've kind of gone the other way with people filling up with their you know refillable bottles now to sort of save the environment. But, yeah. but back in the '90s, buying a bottle of water was a cool thing to do. You know, yeah, I actually don't remember yeah buying bottles of water. What did people do if they didn't have any water back then? They just had a soft drink or some juice or something. I remember yeah, I a, friend, uh, <laughs> a friend in uh, Expo 88 um, <laughs> went to Expo 88 and there was no nothing to drink except beer and she was 11 at the time. So her parents <laughs> had to buy a can of beer to give to her because there was nothing else for her to drink. So you couldn't even get water back then. So, uh, yeah, Septic Springs is, is, is as, you say, as you say, Alison, it's probably uh, a response to people starting to drink bottled water. Yeah, it's as natural as the dose of the runs. News desk straight up, uh, which uh, we have a uh, oh, here we go. Tony impersonating Dr. John Hewson over the phone. Yeah, it was mm. like a cheap way of doing it. it. Was this the only time they did a second news desk? I don't remember uh, that being a feature of other episodes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, it might have been dropped certainly later on, but yeah, they they just they needed time to fill in, and they thought, well, we'll we'll do it with a couple of interviews, really. Uh, I think the one of the standout things about this episode is the it's very sort of scripted. Like it, what I mean is it's dense of material, whereas later mm. on, I think they relied more on being silly or you know stretching characters out and. You know, and Ho- hoping that that Graham and the Colonel could uh, run for fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but this one's is just like material. You know, like they've scripted this bit, and again, mm. it just feels so dense. Do you remember what impression Rob was doing of Bill Clinton in this one? A very good one. All <laughs> <laughs> mm. the wig was wrong again with the wigs. They they got better with <laughs> making yeah. him. The, the, the only thing that that distracts me from from that Bill Clinton impression is that sort of weird sort of cleft in the nose. <laughs> Oh, it's sort of weird. it's really off-putting. The bum nose. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Straight after the news desk was Mick and Tony out and about postcode from Shopping Town. Yeah, mm. I love these little postcodes, the postcards. Postcards. It might have been going under renovations at the time, but yeah, it, there's, there's a lot of exposed wiring there, which is very odd because <laughs> there's a lot of like kid stuff going on around there, like toy cars and toy choppers and. You know, Cat in the Hat fun jazzercise show at 11 and 1. He's there was this funny, um, just when they went into the news agent and they had the yeah. and they were ticking off all of the different cliches. Care to make any predictions as to what we'll find when we take a look inside? Uh, well, I'm not exactly going out on a limb here, but I'd say Marilyn Monroe is going to be in there, isn't she? Sure. I reckon you're going to get a scantily clad woman on the bonnet of a sports car or, or a powerboat or something sure. like that. Uh, how about an obscure American sporting hero who no one has really heard of uh, yeah. out here? I'll go with that. Uh, Patrick Swayze, I reckon, is bound to get a look in. Tone, I don't want to get controversial, but 
We're bound to find the gratuitous boob fest in there somewhere, aren't we? Sure, it's going to be there. Plus the uh, heavy metal band in an awkward pose. I think we're going to find one of those. Right, and, uh, well, let's just say the piece de resistance, the one we know for sure is going to be in there, the skeleton, skeleton on the, the toilet. toilet. So let's go in and see what we can find. And my, my partner noticed that the obscure American hero was actually, um, he knew exactly who that was. And... Um, <laughs> And this, this, the all-star in the slam dunk contest in 1988 up against um, Michael Jordan. This was, um, yeah, basically. So he's like, I know all about that and I know that exactly where that is. And he looked it up on YouTube and showed it to me. So. Oh, Dominic Wilkins. That's the <laughs> Dominic wow. Wilkins, yeah. yeah. It was funny when Nick said the skeleton on the toilet is now hanging in the National Gallery. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember going through the poster racks at my nearest sort of Westfield shopping town every time we I would go there. Um, and there were always loads of the, the pockets were empty. And as they're going through finding the, the things on their list, there's all these empty pockets that they have to go through. Some but yeah, that, that's the, the, times the, the posters at the newsagent is really the, the highlight of this. Like it seems like the rest of it was pretty much improvised at the time, I, I reckon. Um, yeah. Especially that, that weird footage of Mick trying to dance during the Cat in the Hat fun jazzercise show. That's the second time I've mentioned that. Like, not, not doing much movement with a cigarette in the mouth. Oh, my God. It's just weird. Smoking in a shopping town? I yeah. can't remember that. No, you could do that back then. I think I remember you could still smoke in, in shopping malls probably early 90s. Yeah. yeah. You could do it um, up did, until 2000. Could you? Okay. Yeah, I was working in retail at the time, and I remember that the area that I worked in, they constantly had people coming in smoking and then once the band came in it's like yes this place won't stink anymore so it was around 2000 because after that i moved on so yeah it's funny how quickly we forget how prevalent smoking was back back then yeah. how everyone yeah. used to do it in planes offices shops yeah well, it's a better place. <laughs> the bit, did anyone notice so, the bit where mick is in the photo booth and and it, it I think, I think <laughs> yeah. the joke is like he's doing a dick pic or something in the yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I need time to get my dicks off. <laughs> really, really tiny bit, and and you you can sort of blink and miss that. But I just went, whoa, he's doing a dick in the photo booth, the nineties version of a dick pic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, ahead of his time, that's for sure. No. And it was also funny when he sort of danced off to the liquor land. Like, <laughs> oh, it, it, it just it really did look like a fairyland, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that brick wall. But yeah, the the the, the, the posters in, in the newsagent bit, uh, I, I think, is really the the hero of, of the piece. Do Do you reckon? I've I've got a bit of a conspiracy theory about this. Do you think that they worked out those seven? Uh, like, oh yeah. Do, do 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 you reckon they, they looked at the rack before they shot? Yeah. Oh yeah. They would have looked at the rack. But there's a little piece of me that really hopes that um, that that wasn't the case. <laughs> All right. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> I know. I mean, to to their credit, they they don't get even halfway through that rack, and like it, it only takes them about what was it one minute fourteen point four seconds according to the screen um, <laughs> until they find them all. Wow. <laughs> Let's never ask them so we can just um, hope yeah. that it was yeah. just yeah. all done <laughs> yeah. naturally. Comedy magic. Yes. <laughs> well, comedy magic now is the commercial Crime Stoppers where Mick and Santo would break down late night ads that they discover or viewers would submit. 
And in this case, it was the first one up was the Medieval Fair in Birdwood. Yay! Let it be known that on Sunday, the 29th of March, the villagers of Adelaide and surrounding lands are together at the Birdwood Mill for a medieval fair. Knights in armour, dancing, food and crafts in a bustling medieval marketplace. Wandering minstrels, archery, feasting and much, much merriment. Take ye your family and follow the Red Jester to the medieval fair, Birdwood Mill, Sunday the 29th of March. Hooray! I love yeah, commercial so Adelaide represent. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that ad. I, I don't know if Daniel remembers the, the I mean I've certainly been to the Birdwood Mill and they used to have the medieval fair every year and I think I remember seeing ads for that I don't know if you remember those Daniel I, I never went to the medieval fair I vaguely re- remember the the ad um, yeah not not through uh, commercial crime stuff as but yeah when when you get an ad that starts with hear ye hear ye hear ye <laughs> in a bad in a bad property accent <laughs> yeah. You, you, you don't tend to forget that. <laughs> no. But, I mean, there were so many ads on Adelaide television and I'm sure television around Australia as well at the time which were of that level of crappiness. So mm. in, in many ways, the Birdwood Mill ad doesn't strike me as, as especially hilarious, but, you know, I, okay, fair enough. I yeah. guess maybe in Melbourne it was. <laughs> and and it's, oh, it's, some, it's something that's, that's desperately missing from, uh, from modern TV is, is the crappy local yeah. ad. Yeah. I, do, I don't think you, you you couldn't really do a commercial crime stoppers today. I reckon YouTube would really ruin a, a lot of the the late show um, uh, you know, clip segments today. I, I reckon. Yeah. Well, see, I, I would I, I would probably see a, a crappy ad within the first twenty four hours of it airing through my Twitter feed, probably. Yeah. Well, they're deliberately made to kind of get attention in, in some way, and sometimes that's by being a bit crap. Well, the crappy ones. Uh... Well, what became a signature uh, was the Demtel commercials, and this one was about the dream pillow that they spoke mm. about. I always mm. want to know how what... bad is this dream pillow? Like, yeah, I just yeah. could not get over how bad it was. A stupid air pocket it's thing inside this inflatable. <laughs> it's just like one of those things you swim with. Well, he's he's not really cool. I that the car didn't crush it as well. I just don't buy. Because surely, like, it would make this amusing kind of pop noise as the car ran over the what is basically a balloon in a pillow. Yeah, there was no way they had the air pocket in that pillow when the car ran over it. It's probably filled with sand or something. Um, Yeah, well, I noticed that they had a 30 year guarantee. How (laughs) gross keeping your pillow for 30 years. That is disgusting. It's actually, it's weird. Where I work, they, we test mattresses and, and people were being asked how old their mattress was and someone had theirs since uh, the 80s and I was like, that's disgusting. Oh. <laughs> like, we've had ours for over 30 years and it still works great. So, oh, gross. So, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, yeah. Tim, the Demtel Dem- man. Yeah, Tim, the Demtel yeah. man. He's, yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's in the he's... National Press Club asking mm. politicians real questions now. But wait, oh, well. like, have you got any more for me? <laughs> <laughs> but wait, there's more. Yeah, I've got some steak knives here. If you <laughs> just just make sure you don't put them near your dream pillow. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, back but, to but, commercial but... crime stoppers. Is that a segment that they stopped doing in series two, or did very rarely? I feel like it's a series mm. one phenomenon. I think so. I think so. I think so. I loved um, it. It was so yeah. great. And the yeah. bad case of neck gap was just really <laughs> hilarious how I was searching in that dictionary. Yeah, the <laughs> neck gap is. 
and 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 again, sort of similar to uh, to muckraking, um, uh, Mick and Santo inserting themselves into the commercial again. Yeah, really bad testimonials. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's and what's amazing is is how they haven't actually um, it, nowadays. When you watch things on TV and you see just testimonials that are just as bad, and you think, "Gosh, haven't anyone hasn't anyone learnt any acting skills in the last thirty years?" Yeah, yeah, and they wrapped it up with the preview of uh, what was going to be on the next episode, which was uh, the Nobby's Kitchens ad. So you know, the kitchens, kitchens, kitchens guy. Dickhead, 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 dickhead. dickhead. <laughs> right <on cue. laughs> Sorry, I, I had to jump in there first. <laughs> That's fine. But after the commercial Crime Stoppers came up the new currency. Uh, the, all the, the coins yeah, they're the really yeah. obsessed with this five dollar note, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The it was the first plastic note, so it was, no, no, yeah. no, no. That was uh, nineteen eighty eight with the commemorative bicentennial ten dollar note, wasn't it? Well, I, I think that, that was, that was the a first trial. proper one that was widely mm. circulated. And yeah, they talked true. about the coin, which I, I vaguely remember seeing the coin. But Tony saying that he got it as change. I thought, gosh, he could have should have kept a hold of that one. Um, top, top, I, yeah, I do vaguely remember that. Yeah, the the ice cream at the movies that was yeah. classic. <laughs> yeah. Um, but all I could think when I was watching this is cash. What's that? Yeah, <laughs> not allowed to use that anymore. That's gone. Nah. Oh gosh. I think yeah. the five dollar coin was never in circulation. That was just for common no. purposes. Yeah, it was no. It was it would have been a special thing issued for collectors, and and they still issue these kind of special coins, and you can use them as currency. But in fact, then, yeah, um, I do remember properly. receiving a Simpson and his donkey five dollar coin, and there was a space one as well. This was in the early nineties, but I wish I had them now because I know they're worth a lot now. I think like five dollars. Mm. Well, they're worth at least five dollars anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So after when, uh, so Tony's trying to you know decipher whether the coins and the notes are confusing his uh, quote nan unquote. The new five dollar note and a Kelvinator fridge freezer. <laughs> Any difference there, Gran? At all? No. No. no exactly. <laughs> Be a devil of a job getting one of these into your purse, though, wouldn't it? I think you'd have to agree. Come over here, because now we've got a tricky one. We've got the new $5 coin and a deadly Bengal tiger. Can you uh, tell those apart at all? Uh, 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 I'm afraid not. No, no, no. you see. Myrtle Woods, of course. Let's, let's not forget Myrtle Woods. Yes. Um, and she was in quite a lot more sketches, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she she turns up quite a lot in the Late Show and and various other projects that they did as well. And and I think Tony actually became quite good friends with her, and he attended her funeral after she died in two thousand and one, I think. Mm. So, but, but Myrtle Woods had been in in a lot of stuff like dating back to the sixties, sort of television with Burt Newton and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, quite quite a prolific actress over a number of decades. So this is and probably yeah, the she's, first, she's really um, good in this as well. Yeah, she's great. This would she'd have to be like the first instance of them sort of borrowing from that generation, which is so much a hallmark of the late show. You know, that's sort of harking yeah. back to the seventies stuff that they watched when they were younger. Oh well, we imagine that Tony watched something similar, but, but there's a, there's a lot of I think I think there's quite a lot of influence of things like the Don Lane show in, in the late show as well. That kind of you know live variety feel, if if not the actual content of the Don mm. Lane show. 
Unless they don't come on and do their cabaret act. <laughs> and this is where we first see Graham and the Colonel for the first time. Huge cheers from the audience as well when they, they're announced as well. Yeah, because they yeah. were on Eon FM back in the day. Yeah, yeah, they were a massive part of the radio. Um, I often miss them because I'd have to get out the door. I lived in Morty Alec. I'm sure there's a, <laughs> a gag there from Get This, but um, yeah, so I'd have to get out the door to get to school on time. But my friend would always give me a relay of it, which I think is kind of better when your friend completely describes a comedy sketch for you. So that was my experience of Graham and the Colonel, but they were massive. They were... And, of course, they would do a best bit of the DGEN show on the weekend so you could catch it all kind of then. Yeah, Graham and the Colonel were absolutely very famous and they would do a lot of outside broadcasts of the radio show with, and they'd get a lot of um, sports stars and stuff coming on that segment. So it was huge in Melbourne, yeah. Yeah, because I, I never knew who they were before The Late Show and it was my first introduction to them and having not been a huge fan of sport at all I thought I wouldn't really enjoy it but then you didn't have to know about sport at all <laughs> what <Whatsoever laughs> to actually enjoy because yeah. <laughs> some, some of it is also sort of made up in that sort of very loud enthusiasm that um, uh, Robin Santo had they sort of, they seem to really sort of turn the, the character up to 11 I think uh, when, when they're doing Graham and the Colonel they're certainly much louder yeah, yeah and whenever they forget a joke or fluff things up and they just skim past it and then just kind of throw that piece of paper behind them. It's just, you, know, <laughs> you just, you just laugh along with them. It's just got such a wonderful energy about it. It's like, mm. cause I think on yeah. the commentary, maybe they describe how they were sort of have these torturous Friday nights where they'd write it together and they probably put in hours and hours of work into this script and then, you know, live, in front of that audience and in front of the telly, they would just be like, what the fuck is all of this? And, you know, throw it behind them. They, they like, sort of, they take a, a huge delight in kind of trashing through their own material, basically. They, they kind of tear it to bits live and, and try and make each other laugh. And it, it, I mean, in this, it feels really weird watching this because, again, they haven't quite learned how to do Graham and the Colonel on The Late Show yet. But, you know, mm. you can see, kind of kernels of it and and what it's going to become it, it's really interesting yeah there's it's like they're learning uh maybe we better get a little bit more drunk next time we do this <laughs> and also maybe labor the joke like because i know that as it progressed you know they would really sort of stretch the dagginess out and just <laughs> they, 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 they did they did like to repeat lines in that uh, in, in this uh, section they do call themselves out too so when they start going off on a tangent and they go it's time to stick with the script or whatever and then you know santo will just like pull Robin or vice versa. <laughs> but mm. I can always... Uh, the, the, the other thing I like about uh, Graham and the Colonel is the theme tune. They've, whoever, whoever picked the music uh, for The Late Show uh, has done an excellent job because it's, yeah. it's, it's, very, it's very sort of old-fashioned, um, slightly daggy well, I can tell um, you what uh, theme music. Is, actually. It's a piece of uh, production library music um, from the KPM library if you're playing at home. It's called Light and Tuneful. That's it. Um, and it's, uh, it, it was used for the BBC's uh, Wimbledon coverage, um, probably um. in the 70s, but it's, it's very iconic um, um, uh, uh, usage there. Yes, it is. And it just, it just ev- evokes that sort of, yeah, old-schoolness about sport, really. 
and then just overlays the, the, the lawn bowls and the kind of daggy jumping up and down. And, and, that, and that weird sport, what, what the hell sport is it where a kid is running with a small tyre tied behind, dragged behind? <laughs> I, I, ne- I never understood that one in, in the title sequence there. Isn't that like it, House Sports Day? <laughs> it, it's something that, that sort of um, runners do as a to train, as like resistance training. They'll, they'll jog with like dragging a tyre behind them to kind of build up their uh-huh. strength. So... It, <laughs> It's not a real sport, but I think Prue's right. I think it also is probably quite common in school sports days because you, <laughs> yeah. you end up doing these silly kind of obstacle course type games, don't you? Like yeah. egg and spoon races and... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sack race, you know, all that. Oh, the sack race, yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the other thing um, that's missing uh, from this episode, maybe the first few episodes, is that wonderful um, you know, introduction, you know, tough, uncompromising, no holds barred, no big your pardons. With episode one, it's just Tony saying, and now here's the latest in sport from Graham and the Colonel. It's sort of straightforward. It's, 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 it's not as good, that's it. That's it. In fact, I've got to highlight, there's one joke in it, which went straight over everyone's head. It was, I reckon it was a unscripted joke. Tough sport golf, it, girl. A tough sport. Golf is a tough sport. I mean, when you lift the tough sports, yeah. it goes boxing. Boxing's tough. Rugby league. Rugby league's even tougher. Golf. Golf, it's the toughest of all because they don't wear mouth guards. <laughs> well, they have it easier these days because, I mean, they get to sustain the rigours of the... Uh, the, 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 the yes, sustain the rigours. I'd just stick the... with the script, I'd say. <laughs> They sustain what? those rigours yes. of the tour by yes. taking their families with them. Oh, the families travel along with the golfers, do they? Oh, yeah. Like uh, the shark. The, the shark. shark. Mrs. Shark goes with him. The shark, Mrs. Yeah. Shark goes with what him. What about uh, Peter Senior? Oh, yes. Peter Senior and yeah. his beautiful wife, Gail, and his son. Yeah, Peter Senior Junior. <laughs> yeah, that was a great one. There was Good also a really great um, bike material like going for a dink and um santo had yeah. all this stuff about the tea bar on the bike and the, the sissy <laughs> and, bar and, 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 and talking about <laughs> typically running cricket again so, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not a, a, a sports loving uh, guy by any means but i like it's still it's still funny to me i wondered Especially. though there, there was that material about the sri lankan cricket team which I think I don't know about sport, but isn't that a legitimate cricket team now? Was it? I'm assuming yeah. the joke was it wasn't then back in the nineties. No, well, it's oh, well so, so, certainly that, that it, it probably wasn't team. as held in high regard as other um, countries' cr- cricket teams. Probably. See that material's a bit dodgy. Always. Yeah, I mean, Sri Lanka, as I remember, were always a bit dodgy. Like, they weren't very good as a team back then. They they may well be better now. I have no idea. I don't really follow cricket. But, you know, it's a very small country, and so they, they don't have the population to draw from like, you know, India does or whatever. So they weren't very good at cricket. And also, you've got to remember, like, at, at that time, Australia basically dominated cricket. We were the best. So we The 90s. Yeah, 80s and 90s, we were we were a very, very good cricket team, yeah. Pretty much after the Graham and the Colonel wrapping up, it was the closing time, which was the, the presentation of the worst album cover back on the vinyl. Hey. Now returned. Where's Jason in this? Where, Jason, yeah, where, where's Jason? Because I, I, he's, he's gone missing. I, I hadn't even noticed that, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm afraid yeah. to say, but you're right. Yeah, it was mm. only 
the four yeah. or five of them? Yeah, it was in, in Muck Raking, and that was pretty much it, wasn't it? Yeah. But they were showing album covers such as Phil Galotta and the Blue Echoes with the fantastic testicle Testicle separation. separation. Testicle yeah. separation. <laughs> God, the 70s. Yep. And then, yeah. and then uh, Jane Ten. showing... Like, J- Jane is is certainly a child of the 70s, uh, considering that, that she's showing all those Ripper album covers with the, the, the track listing yeah. painted on the bum cheeks. Yeah, mm. the Ripper... And those are her personal albums. You just know that. Oh, definitely, definitely. <laughs> And uh, then Tom throws in the "Hi, I'm Don Lane" album just to uh, shut up a little. <laughs> and Tony brings out the accordionettes, which mm-hmm. uh, was it. Life is a is a love, piano. life is a piano. Love is an accordion. That's it. Love, yeah, that's right. Love is a piano accordion. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. You know, it really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if any of those are on Spotify. Oh, I well, do. See, I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this this would be an, an interesting game, considering that you've now got the world's music available through Spotify and Apple Music and, and stuff. You could you could probably go trawling through the different album covers, trying to find something really bad in whatever's there. And especially the high on online, I'm very intrigued by that one. Now, uh, after all the closing, they actually promote saying that episode two for next week is. Uh, they're up against now. Get this: the Barcelona opening ceremony, the Olympics. Yeah. Mm. Now. And so, Alison, you said the first episode you watched was actually the second one. So that means you weren't watching the opening ceremony, like well, everyone else. I, <laughs> I I find it really difficult to believe that I wasn't watching the Barcelona Olympics. But you know, I have very distinct memories of of watching the second episode of the Late Show and just falling in love with it. So. So clearly I wasn't. Yeah, there may have been a lull in the Prezzinis and you thought, I'm going to switch over well, <laughs> Yeah, this I mean, parade. Yeah. Who, who knows? I mean, you know, you've, you've got to factor in the, the half-hour delay in Adelaide as well, which which may have been in place. Who knows? Look, but, yeah. I, I, might, I, I might have to give a slight spoiler alert to next week's uh, TV Guide, but um, uh, according to the TV Guides then, the actual opening ceremony didn't happen until half past three Mel- uh, in the morning Melbourne time on the Sunday. Ah, so but, just- but, but, but for, <laughs> preceding, preceding that was the, like preview shows and yeah. something about the torch relay and, you know, all, all that, all that um, you know, the, the, the waiting, essentially. The, as we know, the waiting is the hardest game. Well, now, if you hop on <laughs> So Central, they would have had to have made the most of the prime time yeah. during that, that time. So, I yeah, you're right. I remember the Barcelona Olympics and staying up to watch all those Kieran Perkins things at, at, at 3 a.m. and telling my friends that I was up and had only had one hour of sleep all, all day because I was too busy mm. watching the Olympics. But what Olympics? What are they? <laughs> we can now watch all those on YouTube. Wow. And, uh, yeah, that pretty much wraps it up with uh, all the closing credits showing the montage of the rehearsals and then because now, the yeah. Melbourne little tag on the end. We mentioned James Conson and Myrtle Woods. There was a, another uh, name in the closing credits um, that uh, that came up, Duran O'Brien. Does anybody remember where Duran O'Brien was uh, in the episode? No, no. who's that? Uh, maybe uh, just as a bit of a hint, he only had one line. Hmm. No. Now, and, and that that line was uh, Doctor Houston, thanks for your time. Oh, the kid. Oh, the little kid. Oh, the kid. <laughs> oh. Is he now, famous now, or something? Uh, I, I must admit, uh, I'm, I'm only supposing that it's the little kid because I, I did stick uh, Duran O'Brien's name into Google, and the only other thing uh, that I could find. 
was that he was in an episode of Blue Healers in 1996, um, season three, episode 38, called Buck Naked. Don't worry, Duran was not Buck Naked. He appeared as Halloween Kid 1, okay. um, which m- must have been better than Halloween Kid 2. But, um, <laughs> good, good sleuthing, uh, Daniel G. Thank you for listening to the remastered and replastered, well, being plastered episode of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, our first episode. A big thank you to Alison, Daniel, Kim, Prue, and Tony, as well as all our guests and special guests and anyone who has contributed to the podcast. So please stay subscribed because we will be returning for some more of the Working Dog, their library, just all their movies, their other TV shows, and so forth. My name is Matt. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you next time. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.